We've stepped in a series on Ruth, um, and if you remember last week, we talked about the, uh, the frowning providence of God, and uh, at times like today, it feels like we're seeing and experiencing it firsthand. Um, and yet, if you remember, we ended with hope. There was hope, and there is hope today. So I've asked Donna to come and read um, Ruth chapter 2. And I invite you to um, let yourself enter into the story, allowing the scriptures, trusting that God knows. He knows what he's doing. He knows his timing. He's inviting us into this word, this day, amidst all that's going on in your lives and in ours. So, uh, Donna, why don't you come and read for us? The reading is Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She had also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you, 
So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindred has not, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, God. In the Jewish canon, the Jewish scriptures, the book of Ruth is part of the wisdom literature. In our scriptures, it's part of the historical narrative, uh, but not in the, in the Hebrew canon. In fact, uh, Ruth comes right after the book of, of Proverbs. If you remember, Proverbs ends with Proverbs 31, which is the, the virtuous woman. It's the description of what it looks like for a wise man to choose a woman above all, whose character whose being is of great substance. It's as though Proverbs 31 ends and says, oh, you want to know what this looks like? Ruth. In a way, you can actually look at the whole book of Ruth as kind of a condensed narrative of what it looks like to live out Proverbs, to live out the godly wisdom that he has in the world he created. Therefore, the book of Ruth is actually very practical, and it's actually a practical call to imitation Therefore, when you read Ruth, you have to ask yourself, okay, what, what's God doing? And, and more significantly so, what is, what is God raising up characterologically? What's he showing in the characters here that we are to, to learn from, to, to glean from, to pursue, and to be transformed by? If you're going to synthesize chapter two, you'd have to say that it's a chapter where God meets us with unexpected favor as we faithfully live out the ordinary days of our lives. That's chapter two. God's faithful, unexpected favor in the midst of ordinary living. It's what happens when courage, diligence, and humility meets generosity and kindness. And what's astonishing here is that really neither Ruth nor Boaz seem to be acting differently than they normally do. It's quite ordinary what they're living out. It's not like, well, today was a particularly special day with how they behave. No, no there's something particularly significantly ordinary an everyday reality for both Ruth and Boaz, living their life before God in what he has for them. And yet in the midst of this ordinary, there's this extraordinary movement of God under the scenes, his providential favor, his sovereign grace, and he begins to put it on display. Now, if you're hearing, you have to remember, you're hearing the story in retrospect, so which means that you're getting a summary. You're, you're getting a general picture of what unfolded. And, and, and what's difficult in, in passages like this for many of us is we can find ourselves saying, it feels like these aren't real people. Like it feels like they're kind of walking about six inches off the ground. Like they're not really quite touching the ground. They're, they're so spiritual it would appear. But I remind you that that's not the case. Ruth and Boaz are normal human people. Human beings who had bad hair days and bad attitude days, just like you and just like me. 
It's actually funny. Every once in a while, we'll, uh, Becky and I will tell our journey of getting pregnant young and, and, uh, and having a baby at 17 and two children by 19. And people, I mean, universally, I don't think I've had one person not say it yet. They go, man, there's no way I could have a child at 17. It's like, well, you didn't, so you're good, you know? Um, <laughs> but, but, but the reality is this. You get to see the story now, right? Married, daughter, oh, well, that's a, that's a long time ago. And but you didn't get to see the, the, the ins and outs, the, the beauty and the, and the not so beautiful of the in and out day. The story is still fundamental and significant and worth imitation because it comes from God. His invitation is to see them as these people as real people who have been walking in this ordinary life towards something significant. That's what's beautiful. So if you find yourself listening to this story and saying, you know what, I feel kind of like a schmuck looking at Ruth or at Boaz. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm nearly anything close to what they're like. That's not the purpose of this book. It's not to make you say, well, compared to them, I really don't have it. God's desire is to lay before us, to work out an imitation and through illustration to invite us to pray, Lord, will you make me the kind of person? Lord, will you make me the kind of person? Lord, you must make me the kind of person who is humble and courageous who's diligent and generous, who's kind. Lord, you, you must. That's your prayer for the rest of this sermon. Not to compare, not to say what you're not, but Lord, make me the kind of person who. So with that in mind, let's take a look at what God shows us in this text about Ruth and about Boaz, what we learn about what some of this masculinity and femininity looks like, but more significantly, what God shows us about himself, which is what the scriptures are all about. Now, for those of you who weren't with us last week, uh, we walked with Naomi 10 years before what um, Donna just read, 10 years, a little over 10 years before this incident. Naomi, her husband, and two children had left for Moab. They had gone there because there was a famine in Bethlehem. They were going there to get grain to try and survive. The two sons married daughters after the father has died. And then the two sons died. And it leaves Naomi as a, a widow with no children, no prospects. She's destitute, but for one Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. And this Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, she, she pledges herself to Naomi in ways that are so beautiful, that are so shocking almost to the hearers. Her faithfulness and sacrifice, her declaration, leads her to walk with Naomi all the way back amidst the frowning providence of God, back to Bethlehem. And as we arrived at the end of that chapter, we said the sky was parting and a ray of light was coming through. There was hope because it says it was the beginning of the barley season, the barley harvest, the harvest that Ruth steps into. So chapter two begins with Ruth turning her declaration of commitment and faithfulness into action. Ruth goes from saying, this is the kind of person I'm going to be to you and in chapter 2, she demonstrates it. She says to Naomi, let me go into the field and glean the ears of grain. Now, God had made provision for the poor and for the refugee, for the foreigner. He made provision for it by saying, there's a way in which we're going to handle. Those of you who have fields, who have means, who have assets, there's a way in which you're going to be able to help provide for the poor, for those who aren't from around here. It says in Leviticus 23, and when you reap the harvest of your land, those of you who have land, 
If you have land, this is how it should work. You shall not reap your fields right up to its edges, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Don't go over your field twice, just once. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. God identifies with the poor over and over and over in scriptures. I am the Lord your God. So in this way, God had been very intentional in making provision for the poor, for the marginalized. And what's incredible about it, he makes this provision, but it's done in a manner that brings dignity to the poor by calling them to an honest, diligent work. Not primarily to handouts. There is a sense of a clear sense of physical work for those who could. Now, there is a place for almsgiving very clearly in the scripture. There's a, there is a place for us as the body of Christ and believers to, 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 ben, to have benevolence for one another, absolutely. But one of the primary ways in which God saw that he would provide for the dignity of the poor is through work. Ruth is, um, she's at the bottom. There's an author that talks about the constellation of the vulnerable. In the scriptures, there's, there's four groups of people that, that over and over God says, I'm with them, care for them. It's the four constellation of the vulnerable. Widows, children, foreigners or refugees, and the poor. And Naomi, I'm sorry, and, and Ruth is three of those. She's at the bottom and yet, and yet, Ruth takes advantage of what she can do. Instead of lamenting over what she doesn't have or begrudging those who happen to have what she doesn't have, she goes out into the field. She doesn't seem to feel sorry for herself, considering the reality of the lowliness of her position, and it is a low position. This is a rough job to have to glean picking up aluminum cans for a living. There's very little dignity in it. And yet there's dignity in the work. And she goes out bravely. This is a woman of great courage. Remember, she's in a foreign land. Now, I came back from France. I felt like I was in a foreign land. Nothing like that. These are not her people, not her language, not her customs. Had she picked up some of those things from her husband and from her mother-in-law? Probably. But these are not hers, not her people. She's a foreigner. She knows she doesn't belong and everybody else knows it too. But on top of that, this is not a safe place. Naomi points out at the end of the chapter, she says, hey, by the way, yeah, stick in Boaz's uh, fields because otherwise you might get assaulted. These are not safe days. These are not safe environments. She's a single woman with no man in a male society where you don't pick on people as long as they're part of your clan. She doesn't have a clan. She doesn't seem to belong to anybody. She's vulnerable. But she goes out nonetheless. She said to Naomi, I am yours. I am for you. She begins to walk it out. But did you catch? So there's no glamour. There's no safety. And she goes anyway. But did you catch what her disposition was as she went out? Did you, did you catch what she's saying? She says, I'm going to go out and glean after him whose sight I might find favor. I'm going to go glean after him whose sight I might find favor. I, I am going to find favor 
That's what I'm going out for. I'm going out to find favor. Ruth's disposition is not earning. She's not trying to prove something. She's there to receive. She's heading out to receive, to be the recipient of God's mercy, of God's favor, of his grace. She's going out to discover favor. That's where her eyes are on. God, show me favor. And as though on cue, the next verses say, and she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who happened to be of the clan of Elimelech. Loved ones, there are no accidents in the providence of God. There are no accidents in the providence of God. And that can be really hard sometimes. And if it's not hard, you haven't really lived it or thought it through. It's very difficult. It's also unbelievably peace-giving. There are no accidents. There are no flukes. Proverbs 16 says, a man, plans his, a man plans his way, but the Lord directs and establishes his steps. From a human perspective, it looks like Ruth just stumbles into Boaz's field. Ruth does not stumble into Boaz's field by accident. The reality is that God is behind the scenes weaving something that neither Naomi, Ruth, or Boaz have any ideas about to unfold for them. This is not dumb luck. This is God orchestrating his good purposes. Right now in your life, God is weaving behind the scenes plans and purposes that you don't see, that you don't know, and that you don't understand. He is purposefully working his providence right now. For some of you, that feels like, good, okay, good. For some of you, it's like, where is it? Where is it? Lord, please show me. God is working out his perfect providence in your life right now. We must know this, and this is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to regularly look back on our lives and to take stock of the ways and the times in which God has, so by accident it would seem, taken us into the field of Boaz. Happened to find ourselves in a place where this can't be. And as we see God's sovereign grace in our history, it gives us impetus to look at our present with hope. It gives us a trust to look into the future with grace, even when it's uncertainty, and to trust him. Taking stock of your history and of your past, recognizing the sovereign work of God, being able to say, I had no idea that's what he was doing. But now I can see. That seemed bitter and painful at the time. But now I can see. It doesn't take whatever's going on and remove it, but what it does, the gift it gives us is it says, God's doing something, and I don't know what it is. So I will trust you, Lord, that you are working something out that I cannot see, that I do not know. And where does she happen to go? She happens to come to Boaz's field. And we get to meet Boaz. Boaz is a great guy. We have no physical descriptions of him, but I imagine him about, you know, 6'3", big beard, um, just a burly dude. He's a little older, it appears, from the later chapters. But the description we get in, in verse 1 is that he's a worthy man. The NIV uses the words, he is a man of standing, which I love that. 
He is a man of standing. He has economic standing, clearly, with his fields. He has, he has prosperity, and so he has an economic standing. He has clear social standing. And as we see, he has spiritual standing. And as we find out, like little hint, he's from the tribe of Elimelech, as it turns out. Just happened to stumble into this, into this field that belongs to a man who, as Naomi says, wait, he's actually one of our redeemers. One of our kinsmen redeemer, we'll find out. But that's for a couple weeks from now. He's a worthy man, and he's from the clan of Elimelech. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And the reapers answered, well, the Lord bless you. This is one of the coolest verses of the whole chapter. Here's a man, we know nothing about him. And the first words out of his mouth, just like the first words out of Ruth's mouth, are, the Lord be with you. Here's a man who walks with God. And he doesn't just walk with God in some kind of compartmentalized way where, where on Sunday he takes his little sacred box and he lives out of his sacred box. But then on the rest of the week and in his work and in his life, he's got a secular box. No, this is an integrated man. This is a man who walks into the office and says, the Lord be with you. There's something tangible and real about his everyday life that is manifesting the relationship he has with his God. Commentators say, even the ordinariness of daily work is seen for Boaz and his men in the context of faith in a God who provides. Boaz seems marked with a sense of, a sense of the presence of God. He hasn't left him in his quiet time. He, he hasn't left him on the sidelines. It's as though he's a man who walks into the, he walks into his field. He walks before his men. And the first thing that comes to him is not the thing he has to muster. It's the thing that was with him as he walked along. It's the thing that was with him. Hence he rose in the morning. It's the thing that carries him home long after this very long day. The name of the Lord is on his lips. What's on your lips? What, what comes out of your mouth in greeting? We don't have great greetings here in America. We're not awesome about that. We don't have a lot of history other than hello, you know, yo, howdy, if you're from wherever that is. Um, but there is something really powerful in a greeting. Boaz brings along the reality of God to where he is. That's what a God-saturated person does. They don't remain in the car. They don't remain at home. And certainly they don't remain at church. Boaz arrives with a blessing on his lips. It's as though he's saying, may God's presence and favor satisfy your soul. That's the meaning of this. And may, may God's favor and may his presence satisfy your soul. And, and you know what's awesome is that when you create that kind of culture around your work, around the people that you're around, you know what they, they do? They respond in kind. What a great place to work. May the Lord's favor be upon you. May the Lord's favor be upon you. May the, may the blessing of the Lord be upon you. Well, on you too. What a great place to work. Now, I don't think any of you guys can go into the office, any of you can walk in and say, hey, may the favor of the Lord be upon you. But you should try it. <laughs> See what happens. Wouldn't that be beautiful, though? 
Uh, Becky and I have this, this thing that we've been doing for years now. Becky started it with the kids when they would leave off for school in the morning. Uh, she would say, and they were usually, you know, going late. And, uh, and she would say, I'm for you. And God's for you. Her, her longing was that that would be the last thing they heard walking out the door. Two things. You can count on me. I'm for you. But more significantly than that, I don't get to go with you, but there is one who does. May that go with you as you go to the bus and to the school and to first period. It's one of the reasons why we choose to close our, ser our services with you are loved. It's not an accident. What we're doing is we're sending a closing greeting, a true goodbye, by saying the truest thing about you is that you belong to Jesus and that you're loved. That is the truest thing about you. If you can walk out of here with that, if that can have gripped your heart, well, that's good news. Because you are indeed loved. So when we close the service with you are loved today and then maybe in the weeks to come, I invite you to receive that. To receive it as a gift, as a true greeting from God that sends, that sends you out. Alistair Begg says this. I think this is amazing. He talks about this, this scene. He says, where the blessing of the Lord attends a life, whether as a manager or a sweeper, where you have a spirit of contentedness about your lot and your position, then you will be able to return blessing for blessing. So when you're confident and good with your lot, you can return blessing for blessing. Of course, you're not scratching, grabbing, you're not angry that the boss is coming in a better car than yours. However, no matter how established in your employment, if we do not understand that the blessing of the Lord, that the attending blessing of the Lord is what gives significance to our employment and what gives benefit to all that we do, unless we understand that, then we will never be particularly useful to ourselves or to anyone else. It is the attending blessing of the Lord. So if someone was saying, what's Boaz like? You know, I don't know. I just met him. But the first thing out of his mouth was the blessing of the Lord be upon you. And it seems to be contagious because the people around him are doing the same thing. Imagine if we were the kind of people who didn't compartmentalize who didn't take our faith and have it over here or, or have our relationship with God something that was particularly private, which is consistent with a lot of the, the Protestant ethic, is we kind of keep it over here. It's a, it's a personal relationship with Jesus, which means it's mine. I don't tell nobody about it. That's kind of how we work with it. No. It should leak out of us. It, it's the natural effect of a God-saturated heart. What would it look like for us to become those kinds of people? That the intentionality of our conversations with one another, with the people who don't know him, would be about the fact that God is alive. And I talked to him this morning and on my way in. And he loves me. And I think he loves you too. Would you like to know more about him? Boaz is a God-saturated man. He's bringing the circumstances of his day to the one he's been spending time with. What would that look like for us? And Boaz becomes very kind in that moment. He finds out that there's this new woman. Here's a man who knows his people. He knows his fields. And he says, her. I don't know her. Talks to his foreman. He says, who is this woman? She tells him. 
And so he comes to her, having heard the report from the foreman, and he says, I have good news for you. Here's what I want. I want you to stay here. I want you to work these fields with my girls. Two things. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you through these fields. And secondly, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be the one who says, nobody touches her. I don't care who you are. You don't touch her. She's under my protection. He's a man of provision and of protection. And, and on top of that, he says, listen, you don't have to draw your own water, which by the way, there's a great theme. If you just do the whole drawing of water study through the scriptures, a lot of beautiful things that happen at Wells. But this is a moment where he's saying, I've got water for you, living water. Uh, I've got water for you and it's good for you. And you don't have to draw it. Someone else has. You can be refreshed. And that invites us to suddenly see much more about Ruth's character. Boaz's protection and provision is beautiful. And here's Ruth, this industrious, courageous woman who suddenly starts to demonstrate diligence and humility that is incredible. Her diligence is clearly reported by the foreman. He says, uh, yeah, no, she's been here like from the beginning of the day. And she's been working all the way up till now. And she has to she only take one little rest. This is a diligent woman. It's as though the apostle Paul was thinking of her in, in Thessalonians when he says in 1 Thessalonians, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Like, you know, get your nose out of other people's business. That's another sermon though. And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and not depend on anyone. Here's a woman who is diligent and saying like, I'm looking for favor. My eyes are up, but my hands are working. I'm looking for the favor of the Lord, but there's sweat on my brow. He is providing, the Lord has provided through this field and I will work it. And then there's this picture of humility that is just remarkable. The, the, the foreman says, yeah, when she came, the first words out of her mouth were, please let me glean. The law says she can glean. You don't have to ask. It's just kind of how it works. But she's the kind of woman who comes and says, I would like permission. I would like permission to glean. I know where I am and I know who I am. And I, and I want to humble myself and say, please. She's not presumptuous. She knows the law and yet she still humbly asks. But then after she experiences Boaz's declaration of provision and protection, she says she falls on her face and bows down low, which was the custom. And that is, that is true. It was a custom to say when someone of greater rank or someone shown particular kindness, you see kings bowing down to other kings and princes. But she bows low to the ground and she says to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice on me, a foreigner? Ruth knows who she is. She doesn't think more of herself than she should, but she's also honest about the reality of who she is and where she is. She doesn't want someone to be surprised by the fact that, oh wait, you're a Moabitess? No, no, she's clear about that. Well, there is no reason why you should even be talking to me, boys. Why are you even talking and helping me? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a foreigner. And Boaz's response, he says, listen, your reputation has made it easy for me to give you favor. Your reputation has made it really simple and easy for me to be an instrument of God's favor for you. She asked, 
Why have I found favor? And he says, you found favor because I've heard things about you. I've heard how you left your people, your mother and your father after the death of your husband and that you've clung to Naomi, that you've stayed with her. I've heard of your reputation and it makes it very easy for me to show you favor. My favor rests lightly upon you, but that's not where he ends. He says, this is true of your reputation and it makes it very easy for me to show favor, but that's not where he ends. He says, but let me be clear Your favor is from the Lord. The end of his declaration says, this favor, oh, it's given by the Lord under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth, you've placed yourself in a position of being under. You've come and your entire disposition has been to say, I'm going to go under God's wings. That's where I'm going to head. That's what I'm going to trust in. I'm going to go under under him. I'm going to take refuge in him. I'm not going to strive. No, I'm, I'm going to take refuge under God's provision and protection. And because of I'm taking, uh, I'm taking my place under his provision and protection, well, then I can go out into the field when it's dangerous and uncertain. I can go out into the field not knowing how much, if any, I'm going to bring home. My diligence is born out of the fact that I've taken refuge under his wings. And Boaz says, that's why. Where are you taking refuge? Where are you taking refuge? Loved ones, we must, we must take refuge under his wings. There is no other place, no other person. There is no spouse, no child. There is no career, no hope. There's no accomplishment. There is only one place of sure favor. Nothing has given me more peace in the last 48 hours than that. There is one place for favor. There's one name. What a powerful name it is. That's true for Brit, and that's true for you. Where are you taking refuge? It's amazing that Ruth recognizes the favor that she's received. She left that morning to go find favor. And when she sees it, she recognizes it. And she says, I found favor in your eyes. I know what just happened here. I found favor in your eyes. And and you've been kind to me and comforted me. And you've spoken kindly to me as a servant, even though I am of one, and the New New National Version says, I am of one who without standing, not even the standing of your servants. You're a man of standing. I have no standing. She was looking for favor, and so she saw favor. She noticed it and experienced it. She didn't say, well, I'm glad you noticed all the work I did. As a matter of fact, I have my resume. If you'd like to know, I could, I could maybe run some of these servant girls for you. I have skills, you know. No. No, she's humble. She doesn't seek promotion. Her humility breeds thankfulness. Thank you for showing me favor. Do you know they're always together? I tell you, meet someone who's thankful and they have a humble heart. Meet someone who has a humble heart and they're going to be thankful. They're going to be looking at the opportunities that God is bringing to them and saying, Lord, you must have done this. This must be true because it must be from you. But there's more favor. 
as though this day could not get any better. Now, I mean, Ruth is in this safe place now, provided for and protected. She can, has much water as she can, and she can come back. But there's more. We see the generous heart of Boaz. His generosity is manifested in two particular ways. The first is that he's a generous in his welcoming. It's been a little bit of time now, and it's, it's time to eat. It's been a long day. They've been working pretty hard. And he says, hey, listen, come on over. Come here, he says, and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and they passed her grain. Boaz welcomed Ruth in. Boaz had a big heart of hospitality. He had the kind of heart that said, you are on the outside, but because I'm on the inside, I'm going to bring you in. I am a man of standing and you have no standing, but because I have standing, I'm going to give you standing by bringing you in. Boaz's heart of generosity, it breaks all the bounds. It's a social economic bound. She's a poor widow. She's got nothing. She's a foreigner. I mean, does she really follow Yahweh? Does anybody really know for sure? She's a woman. She's maybe barren. He breaks through all those things. And he says, you come and you sit with us. You be with us. You understand how that is at the core, at the center of the gospel, right? To be invited in. To be brought in. Her day began, I hope I can go find favor. By midday, she's sitting with all the people who belong. You guys all remember middle school, right? Do you remember the horror of middle school on the first day with the cafeteria lunch? You guys all remember that? Like you walk out with your tray and you're like, oh no, where am I going to sit? Now some of you, you grew up with the people and so you already had your table and you're like, don't let them sit here, right? Um, but it's a terrifying experience, especially if your friends are out of town or gone. You're... What would it look like if the, if the church, which is the place of the people of God, lived out this kind of hospitality? Where we said, you, you don't look like you belong. You don't look like you fit. Would, would you come and sit with me? Would you come and have a meal with me? Would you come and choose to belong with me? That's painful for some of you. Some of you know this. You know, you know the being outside thing. Those who have are to move a generosity towards those who don't have. It's the heart of the gospel. He's generous in his hospitality and welcome and his belonging. He's also generous financially. He gives her grain, she eats all that she can have, and then she's satisfied and she has some more left over. Sounds like the feeding of the 5,000. Everybody eats and there's still 12 baskets full. The bounty of favor. This is the first biblical doggy bag. She gets to take this home, this extra, this bonus. But on top of that, Boaz says, okay, 
listen, I, I, I've, I've talked to my workers. She doesn't tell this to her, but she goes back out to work and he talks to his workers and says, listen, I know that economically, in order for us to make the kind of profit margins we were anticipating, which was the goal for that particular season, uh, we'd like to go ahead and make sure that we get as much of the grain as we can. But he says, you know what? We're actually going to forego some of that. What we're going to do is we're going to actually help this woman by when you pluck the grain, yeah, just toss some on the ground. Oh, and by the way, when she doesn't do it quite right, when she doesn't glean in the exact same spots as she should because she is a foreigner, like, let's be gracious to her. Don't, don't harass her. Be kind to her. Be generous to her. Let, her. let her glean, but not just glean. In some ways, she's moved from gleaning to harvesting. He's promoted her into receiving that which her position does not offer because he's generous. He's losing that she may gain. He, wanna, he wants to give more than the law requires. Loved ones, there's, there's some of us who, who find ourselves saying, what does God, what does God want? What's the, what's the percentage or the amount of time? How long is a good quiet time? Like, uh, how, much, how much time do I need to spend with marginalized people? Like, so I can kind of check that box and, and, and be a good Christian, be able to look and be like, hey, yeah, I got, I got it together. That's not the heart of God. That's not what favor looks like. What favor looks like is it looks like someone who says, like, God, what do you want from me? What, what do you want to do? What do you have? What do you, would you like to receive from me? Favor is generous. And a sad, angry baby. <laughs> I want to give her more than the law requires. And I'm able to do so because I'm recognizing that everything I do have is from the Lord. Oh, by the way, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. Oh, yeah, and, and upon you. Because it's the blessing of the Lord that's in that barley field for Boaz. All that he has is the Lord's. And so, so what he's giving to Ruth is actually the favor of the Lord. You see? You see? Everything you have is not yours. It's not yours. I don't care what you think. It's not yours. It belongs to God. Every bit of what you have has been granted to you by him. Every possession, your health, your relationships, even, you, even the, uh, the fabric of the foundations of your family from which you came, they all come from the Lord. There is no boast here. We belong to him. And therefore, all that we have is, is his as he chooses, as he would have. When we were doing our Life on Mission series, we, the last sentence of the definition said that we spend ourselves for the redemptive good of our, of our family, our neighbors, our church, and the world. If you're measuring, if you're measuring in order to determine whether or not you have favor, if you're trying to say, Do I, does this qualify? You're missing the generous heart of the gospel, which is boundless. The famous quote, Lord, is there anything you cannot require of me? Not with the gospel. There is nothing he cannot require of you. And the results of this generosity and the results of this diligence is that Ruth goes home full. We saw Naomi complaining last week. She says, I've come back empty. And Ruth goes home after a day of days, right? Like this is one day, one whole chapter. One day, she goes home with an ephah, which is like 15 days wages, like some people say, maybe up to five gallons. That's a big load to carry down the road. She comes in, and there's rejoicing. Boaz's generosity 
mixed with Ruth's, Ruth's diligence, led to Naomi, who we haven't really seen since the beginning of the chapter, all the way at the end saying something radically different than when we ended in chapter one. Do you remember in chapter one, she was saying, the Lord's hand is against me. He's against me. He's not for me. What happens when the favor of the Lord manifests itself? She says, may he be blessed by the Lord, Boaz. May Boaz be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, the Lord's kindness, has not forsaken the living and the dead. The trickle-down effect of generosity and of grace and of favor turns the bitterness of a widow into the true hope that was hers all along. He's the agent of grace. What a great chapter. We come to the end and it says that she stayed there. She went there every day for about six weeks, the barley harvest and then the wheat harvest. I wonder what's going to happen next. What would the favor of the Lord look like next? But as we pull away from this chapter, as we head towards the table, we must remember that we are all like Ruth. We all need favor. We're all desperate for favor. We've come to God utterly poor. We have no standing. We don't just have no standing. We have the kind of standing that because of our sin has actually removed us, ostracized us from the beauty and the community of a trinity, of the trinity and of God himself. But there's good news. There is a true and better Boaz than the Boaz we just read about here. And he is a good man. And he's come for you. He's taken his perfect standing and he's given it to us. He's taken his perfect reputation and he's substituted it for our poor reputation. Through his life and his death and his resurrection, he has purchased a perfect protection from the consequences of your sin. You have perfect protection. And he's lavished on us the provision of his spirit and he's invited us in. Into relationship with the Father and into community with one another. And he's done all this so that us, having been given this complete and irrevocable favor, could be sent out with his spirit, with a greeting of blessing on our lips. That we would be him, that, that we would be like him, that we'd be courageous and diligent because we're becoming the kind of people who are courageous and diligent because we have this irrevocable favor and we can be generous and kind, we can be humble with whoever shows up in our fields. Whoever sits in the cubicle next door, moves into the house next door, sits in our class next door, or sits in the seat next to you right now. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's being one who has received favor and therefore gives favor. And that's what we remember at communion. 
you remember that you have received favor, that you belong to him, warts and all, because of Jesus. The Maranatha song from the 80s says, many of you will know this, he is able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns you today. Oh, he's able, more than able, to handle anything that comes your way. Yes, he's able, more than able, to do much more than you could ever dream. He is able, more than able, to make you what he wants you to be. So in Christ Jesus, you are invited to come in, to sit down and to eat bread and to dip it in the cup of wine and to experience the favor of the Lord, which is upon you in Christ Jesus. So if you belong to Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord, if he is the one who has shown you favor, then I invite you to come forward. Let me pray. Father, oh, how we need you. Your favor is great upon us. May we know and experience your favor upon us. Lord, we cannot change ourselves. None of these attributes are things that can be true of us because of our efforts, but you can. So Lord, we want to we want to go from here and we want to go looking for favor. For you to manifest yourself to us, to manifest yourself in us and to be agents of grace everywhere we go to whoever you give us to the praise of your glory. We pray all this in the name of our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Loved ones, come and receive the elements.